Good morning. That song is such a tease. You want to hear the, I'm dreaming. Uh, good morning, church. It's great to be here with you around this cozy little fire together. Uh, we are in our second week of our Advent series. Uh, whether you have been uh, coming to church for your entire life or you maybe are new to the whole thing, Advent is really, it's a word that means arrival. And it, really the time and the season of Advent, it's a time that we, as a church, we, we, we look back and we, we remember and we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, his first coming, his arrival. And not just that, but we also look ahead to the future with expectation, with anticipation of his second coming. So it's a season of expectancy. And the church, really, for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, has, has really set aside the, the four weeks, the four Sundays that precede uh, Christmas to really to, to focus and to look back and to look ahead um, in anticipation and so, as we've said before, I mean, the, the church and we as, as Christians, we are in many ways always looking back and looking back to thank God that he sent Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. And we're also looking ahead. We're, I mean, it's not just a, a thing that we do in December, but we do it you know, ongoing. It's a regular part of our, our rhythms. But I love the Advent season because it is a time of increased anticipation. It kind of turns the dial up a little bit to have a, an increased anticipation of Jesus coming. And so we've entitled our Advent series Christmas Playlist, which we kicked off last week. And each week we're looking at one of the themes of Advent that really captured the songs that every heart, yours and mine, every heart longs to hear, longs to experience. And so last week we looked at the song of hope and today, we're going to dive into another song in the Christmas playlist. It's the song of peace. So let's pray and kick this morning off. God, thank you so much for who you are and for what you have done. And I pray this morning, Lord, that your peace, as we've talked about, we've sung about this morning, we've heard about, God, that, that peace would reign. God, would you saturate, permeate this place in our hearts, Lord, with your peace. We commit this time to you and look forward to what you're going to do today. Pray this in your name. Amen. So I want to begin by telling you guys a story. I'm going to go Wilt Rogers over here. Ah, there we go. Sorry, you guys over there. You got the bad view. I mean, the view from here is great. Um, but I want to begin by telling you guys a story about a guy named Henry. A guy named Henry. Not to be confused with Henry Guy, who was up here earlier reading... Uh, yeah, but a, a guy named Henry, you know, Henry was one of those like uber gifted guys. You know, one of those guys that he does everything well. I mean, everything that he does, everything he touches, he does it. He's amazing at it. You know, he's one of those guys. He's super gifted. I mean, he started school at the age of three. Okay. I was struggling to get potty trained at four, but, but Henry, he's starting, he's starting school at three years old. And at age six, he's already diving into classical literature, where many of us are struggling. I mean, we're, we love the comics, you know, like that. At age six, he's in classical literature. He's putting homeschoolers to shame. By the age 19, Henry graduated from college and got hired on as a professor at a, at a local college at age 19. And one thing that Henry did better than anything else was he, he was able to write. He was able to write, and so 
He was such a good writer that he, and so smart, he ended up writing his own textbooks. Okay, so here he is at the age 22, he's published, and he's viewed, uh, he's viewed as one of the most, as the country's most respected scholars. Henry goes on, he gets married at 24, and within three years, Henry is a professor at Harvard and he's at, he's at the top of the world. He has a wonderful wife. He has this dynamic reputation. He has a prestigious job, an amazing house, and he seemed to have it all. But it was really, it was at that moment where tragedy struck. Really out of nowhere, out of nowhere, Henry's wife became ill and died. And of course, Henry was devastated. And to help him cope with his loss, he poured himself into his work. And it wasn't until seven years had passed by that he felt he was recovered enough to remarry. And so over time, with a new love as his foundation, Henry started to feel that the good life kind of returning back to him. He regained his stride. Things began to feel right again. Henry and his wife, they went on to have five kids, which brought them not only joy, but an incredible inspiration. See, Henry went on to write these amazing songs, which became super well-known, popular hits that catapulted him into worldwide fame. However, at the very moment when Henry should have been celebrating uh, the joys brought by his talents, by his financial security, his fame, his respect, the, the high standing that he had at that very moment, tragedy struck again. And this time it was crazy. It was a fluke. It was, it was crazy. His wife was lighting a match and her dress caught on fire and she ended up burning to death. I mean, it's, a, it's a complete fluke. And before Henry could even regain his stride, his faith was challenged even more. You see his son who was deployed fighting in a war that Henry absolutely hated. His son was wounded seriously. And so Henry's prayers turned to rage. And as Henry cared for his son and spent time with the families of other, of the other men and women who had lost their sons in this war that he hated, Henry got to the point and he cried out to God, God, where is the peace? Where is the peace? And then that Christmas morning with church bells ringing in the background, Henry, like he had done a thousand times before, he picked up a pen and paper and began writing, trying desperately to answer the haunting question, where is the peace? The words that Henry wrote on that Christmas day, they've lived on. He wrote them in 1863. And in fact, they were the same words that we just sang a few minutes ago. His poem that turned into a song called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I mean, it captures in many ways the things that you and I experience. Our own observations of the world around us. The longing of our hearts. I mean, it's at Christmas time, right, where we sing about joy and peace. But after looking at the world around us, just as Henry did, with its brokenness, its pain, its chaos, its tragedy, all of that combined with just the internal restlessness that we feel. It's understandable that he would write these lyrics that, in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And his song, his, his poem, 
and would have been completely devoid of hope if he hadn't finished it with a few lines that said, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead and does not sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. You see, at the heart of the words that we sang earlier is not only a cry for sanity in a world that's gone completely insane, but there's also a hope that the peace that Jesus was born to bring, that that peace would be realized. You know, the years have changed uh, since Henry wrote that song, but I'm willing to bet that, I mean, the context is different, but I'm willing to bet that the internal longings that, that Henry had back in that day, that the, the longing has stayed the same. The longing hasn't changed. You see, you and I both have this in, internal and intrin- intrinsic longing for peace. We, we have a longing for all of the things wrong to fail and all things good, right, and true to prevail. And we say this all the time, but it's one of, it's one of the, the, the greatest ironies that for whatever reason, this time of year, this most wonderful time of the year, this, the season of Christmas, it only seems to amplify our mess and intensify our longings for true peace. And you know, in, in many ways, Christmas time, it is the most wonderful time of the year. I mean, I, lo- I love Christmas time. I love the lights. I love the sounds. I love the smells of fake plastic Christmas trees. I'm just kidding. Real trees, if you have a plastic one, stay afterwards for some confession and repentance. Uh, no, I, I love all of that. I mean, I'll, I'll, even, I'll even confess this morning, okay? Paige has been able to convert me. I actually like Hallmark movies now. <laughs> Amen. I fought it the best I could. I, I struggled, I resisted, and she won. I, I'm a sucker for Hallmark movies. But thank you for being a safe place for me to, to, to admit something so embarrassing. But there, there is so much to love about Jesus' birthday, right? At the same time, it's ironic that it is the Christmas season, this most wonderful time of the year, that also has a way of revealing our fears, our frustrations, our problems, and our pain. It's this time of the year where many of us are once again reminded that this world is a broken place and life is not as it was meant to be. Christmas has a way of of magnifying and making a mockery of the lack of peace that you and I feel. It brings it out. I mean, the Christmas season is usually the time that you and I are confronted with the broken relationships that we have with family members. The distance that's there, maybe even the physical distance, but also the relational distance. The messy and stressful family dynamics that exist. It's the time where we're confronted with that, the love, the, 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 the pain that we feel from our loved one that is now missing because of death or divorce or the disease or the financial pinch that we find ourselves in. I mean, Christmas time is that time we feel the pinch financially. How are we going to make it through? How are we going to finish this year? How are we going to make this special for the kids? I mean, Christmas, it's also the time where that we feel that acute pressure to make, I mean, things like the pressure that we feel to make Christmas memorable, to make it meaningful. I mean, the, the pressure that we have to, to find the perfect present for our, our spouse or for the, the name that we drew out of the hat. I mean, there's, there's pressure. I mean, are, are they going to like the gift that I gave them? 
We feel that pressure. Or, hey, are, are we going to have a Christmas party this year? Who are we going to invite to the Christmas party? And who am I going to offend this year? Or, we need to get the perfect picture ready for our Christmas card. Oh my gosh, Christmas cards. We need to, we need to get our Christmas cards done. And by the way, uh, I was at my friend's house and I saw, I saw your Christmas card on their fridge. Do you have one in the mail for us? Just checking. I mean, there's, there's a thousand different ways that we can offend and be offended at Christmas time. And the season can also bring up feelings of loneliness. We wonder, like, how long will I be alone? And some of you are thinking, geez, Matt, why are you so negative? Well, blame Christmas. Don't blame me. And see, I could go, I could go on and on. Christmas, it's, it, it's that time of the year. It has that, that weird way of revealing what we fear. All of our frustrations, the different problems, the different pain that exists, the kinds of things that we might be able to keep at bay throughout the rest of the year, it just comes flooding out at Christmas time. So in many ways, Christmas, it makes us long for peace. Peace in our hearts, peace in our homes, just peace in every area of life. And really, Christmas, it reminds us of our need. It reminds us that we live in a broken world and things are not as they should be. That there's something in the human condition that is broken and desperately needs fixing. In other words, Christmas has a way of revealing why Christmas was necessary in the first place. Well, not only does Christmas amplify our restlessness, intensify these longings for peace. In other words, Christmas may bring out the bad news, but Christmas also announces the arrival of light, life, and love into a context of darkness, death, and hate. In other words, Christmas also announces great news. It brings out the bad news, but it announces great news. It's a good news announcement of peace to this peaceless world. And so as we talked about, as Ryan covered last week, we heard the, the story of, of ancient Israel living in fear, darkness, and eventually they were in exile, waiting intently for the, the hope of the Messiah, the promised one who would come to rescue and to restore Israel. You see, in the Old Testament, there's a prophet. His name is Isaiah. You might have heard of him. Isaiah, and he spoke to Israel. He's a prophet that spoke on behalf of God to Israel, and he spoke in the context, into the context of, of doom and gloom, where death and despair was on the horizon. And at one point, the Assyrians, which were, they were Israel's arch enemy, they are, they're just, they're on the horizon. They are about to invade, and it is at that moment where, where destruction is looming on Israel's horizon, and Isaiah makes this this amazing announcement, speaking on behalf of God. He says this in Isaiah 9, verse 2. He says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And a little bit further in verse 6, he says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And this is an incredible, incredible announcement. You see, in the midst of hopelessness and fear, when the nation of Israel, they're at the end of their rope, where doom and gloom on the horizon, 
He speaks a word of hope and peace. And this passage, you, you probably have, if you've been around the church, you've heard this passage used and talked about at Christmas time every year. And what's so cool is that this passage is really one of the first, or one of the several, many whispers and hints that Christmas is coming. Isaiah is speaking into a context of darkness and despair, doom and gloom are lurking on the horizon. And he says in that context, into that mess, that despair, he says, all is not lost. There is hope. There is one coming whose name will be the Prince of Peace. There's one coming who will fix this broken world, who will right every wrong, who will bring the peace that our hearts crave. Well, the people in, in Isaiah's time, ancient Israel, they're not the only ones who need good news. You and I need good news just as much as they did. And here's the thing, we never outgrow our need to be reminded of the good news that Christmas announces. I mean, some of us are currently in the midst of what feels like doom and gloom. Fear is lurking. Maybe we're in the the thick of it. We're experiencing pain, loss. We're we're experiencing face-to-face the brokenness of this world. And what's true about all of us here is that none of us know what tomorrow will bring. None of us know what next week will bring. So in many ways, Doom and gloom are on our horizon as well. Some of us feel it acutely now. But in the same way that God spoke hope and peace through Isaiah, and he spoke that not into a context where everything was going great, he spoke it into a context where there was despair and fear. Christmas is God's glorious announcement of peace to you and I right here right now. A glorious announcement in the midst of our own fears and our frustrations, in the midst of our sadness, in the midst of all of our suffering. It's God's glorious announcement that help has come. And isn't it true that it's in, often in the midst of our bad news, when we're feeling the, the pressures and the fears and the frustrations, when we're feeling those things, it's, it's often at that moment where we are most open to and become desperate for divine help, where we're faced with really our inability, our incapability of fixing ourselves, of saving ourselves. It's in that moment where we, where we often are, are calling out and crying out for help. You see, it's in the midst of our failures and our fears and our frustrating circumstances that we experience how much we need rescue. And the truth is that if we're ever going to experience true peace, true and lasting peace, it's going to have to come from above. Because in those places of desperation, you know this to be true, when you're you're looking like you're looking around and there's just nothing that will will be able to save and to satisfy and to fix what you feel and are experiencing as broken. When we're at those places, when we're at the end of our rope. We, we come to this place where we're, we realize if I'm going to experience true peace, it's going to have to come from above. And Christmas is that time of year where we celebrate that peace has come. That God has come and he's entered into our mess. He's entered into our pain. He's entered into our fears and frustrations. He has come. I love how one author puts it. He says, Christmas is the beachhead of God's campaign against sin and sadness, darkness and death. 
I love that. Christmas is the beachhead of his campaign against sin and sadness, darkness and death. So no matter where you're at this morning, no matter where you're at and what you're experiencing, whether you're like Henry, either on top of the world or you're in the midst, in the thick of hardship, or you're like Israel, where doom and gloom is, is looming on the horizon, I'm willing to bet that no matter where you're at, that you could use peace. You could use more peace in your life. And so I want to talk about that today. And I want to briefly look at the kind of peace that Christmas announces. And first and foremost, if we're going to experience the peace of God, we first need to understand what it means to have peace with God. And so I want to start by looking at that. What is peace with God? Well, you see, the story that the Bible tells us is that when God created everything, everything was perfect. I mean, imagine that. Imagine perfection. I mean, that means there's no pop-up ads, there's no mosquitoes, there's no rap music. I mean, everything existed in, in perfect peace and harmony. And so the Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. And shalom, really at its core, it, it means whole. It means complete. It, you know, at its essence, it means that everything is as it should be. And so the, the biblical story says that God created everything and it, and it was shalom reigned. The story continues on and tells us that the first man and women, woman eventually chose to trust themselves instead of God. And they rebelled and sin entered into the picture. An author named Neil Plantiga, he describes sin as the vandalism of shalom. Sin is the vandalism of shalom. You see, sin brought brokenness. It brought disintegration to God's shalom, his creation. And it made humanity an enemy of God. So ever since that moment, you and I and, and all humanity have come into this world as an enemy of God. Scripture tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all, each of us have turned to our own way. You see, our sin has sabotaged the shalom that God created, that that God created there to, to exist between creator and creation. And so we feel that separation. We feel that. We've been separated from the source of life, and that separation is not good for our souls. You and I, we were all created to be united to our designer, to our dad. Just as a child separated from their parents at birth, that's, it never turned— it, it's not a healthy thing for a kid to be separated from their parents. In the same way, you and I were not created to be separated from our dad, from the source of life, from his nurturing love and protection. But our sin, you know, it caused a rift. It brought a divide. There was a separation. And because of, the, of sin, the rebellion of the human race, our peace, our shalom with God has been lost. And the, the fallout of that is when, well, there, when there's no peace with God, there's no experiencing the peace of God and, and life begins to unravel. You see, separated from God, humanity begins to just, it, they go on the hunt. We're separated from the source and so we go on the hunt. Ever since then, humanity has been on the hunt and trying to locate, trying to secure for itself that thing that they believe would finally bring satisfaction, that would finally fix the problem that we feel inside. Finally fix what we innately know is broken. 
A guy named Augustine, he said, Our hearts were made for you, O God, and they are restless until they find their rest in thee. See, separated from the peace with God, humans, we become restless scavengers, looking everywhere for the fix. And really the story of humanity with all of its crimes, with all of its evil and injustice and racism and all that, it really can all be understood as humanity trying to fix itself. Believing that if I can dominate, if I can win, then I will finally feel peace. If I make others, if I, I need to feel big, so I need to make others feel small. I need to dominate. I need to win. And really, humanity has done a horrible job at trying to fix itself to bring peace. As he's separated from God, when we're separated from the source of life, relationships suffer. People hurt. People get hurt. And here's the thing. Even if we were, man, we, we were able to pull together some kind of sense of peace, if there's not first peace with God, the peace that you and I experience in daily life, that will never be enough. It will always be fleeting. It will always be temporary and circumstantial. You see, you and I, we were designed to experience peace that comes from being connected to the source of life, that comes from the love of God. Like, like gas in a car. I mean, some cars are made for, for unleaded. Others are made for diesel. Like you and I were, were created and intended to run on a certain kind of gas. We're created to be connected to our creator. And so until we're reconciled with him, until we experience peace with God, there will never be uh, uh, we'll never experience the peace of God. And anything that we might have that might be a pseudo peace or whatever, it's always going to be fleeting. It's never going to be enough. Well, thankfully, the good news is that God has not left us alone. That he came as the Prince of Peace to fix everything that we broke. And he came to do for, our, for us what we can never do for ourselves in order to reconcile us to our Creator. See, Christmas is, that, is announcing good news to a bad world. And Christmas is that good news that God, he has moved into the neighborhood. He has come to set the captives free. And guess what? When, when God decided to set the captives free, he didn't just drop down the keys to the cell from heaven, you know, landing out inside of our cell, telling us to reach out and grab them. Then we kind of become like the pirates and the pirates of the Caribbean, reaching out, give me the keys. We're trying to reach out. No, he didn't do that. And he didn't give us a, a lock picking set. It's like, hey, get yourself out. You know, here's a little paper clip for you to figure that out. No, he just dropped the keys. No, he came down himself and he opened the cage to set us free. The verse that we read earlier, or that I quoted, says, from Isaiah, says, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the verse continues, and here's the good news. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. You see, Jesus came and took upon himself our punishment, and he gave us his perfection. The great exchange. He took our punishment. He gave us his perfection. I love how Colossians 1 puts it. Paul writes, Colossians 1 verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And that's, 
That's amazing, amazing news. You see, because of Jesus and his work, we can rest knowing that we have unending peace with God. We have unending forever peace with God. We have shalom with him. It means that when it comes to our relationship with God, that everything is as it should be. When we choose to trust in Christ and accept his free gift of grace, his sacrifice, we're told that we are made new, we're made new, we're complete, we're made perfectly righteous, which means that everything that stood in the way of our relationship with God, everything that was vandalizing the shalom between us and God, all of that stuff has been forever settled. And now that there's nothing that you and I can do to wiggle free of our new identity. There's nothing that you and I can do to squirm away from the love of God. However hard we try. Our son Archer, I don't know who taught him this. I mean, if you, you, you have kids, like you understand this too. I don't know who taught him, but you know, picking him up, he used to be like just fine, but now he, just, he can just go limp. You know, it's so like I pick him up and he'll just go like. I'm like, who taught him how to do that? Like, if you just go completely limp, you'll be able to wiggle free. But he tries. And when he does that, really what I find myself saying is, sorry, bud, you're mine, and I'm not going to let you go. You're mine. And God, he's, he, he is, because of what he has done, he has so secured our relationship and brought that peace. When we have peace, like through Christ, with God, it is so secure. We can't wiggle free. We can't squirm away from our identity. It's fixed. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So because of what Jesus accomplished, we can know for a fact that we have peace with God. So my question this morning is, do you know for a fact that you have peace with God? And if not, I want to encourage you, just as we see all throughout the New Testament, that there is, there is a plea to please be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. And he has done everything. He's done all of the work. And he offers you peace. He offers you, he wants you to receive his gift of peace. He's done all the work, but he still allows you to make a choice. He allows, allows you to make the choice because he's not, God is a gentleman. He's not going to just, he says he stands at the door and knocks. He doesn't barge in like a SWAT team. He stands at the door and knocks. And so, the only thing for us really to do is to just to open the door to him. Open the door of our hearts to him. And that happens by when we simply admit that we cannot fix ourselves, that we, we cannot save ourselves, and that we need help from the outside, that we need a rescuer, and that we see that Jesus is that rescuer. You see, peace with God isn't something that we work for. It's a gift to receive Remember, to us, a child is given, <laughs> not earned, not even asked for. But to us, a child is given. In fact, every Christmas gift that you receive this year, it's just, it all, it's a hint, it's a small shadow and whisper of the ultimate gift that God gave us at the first Christmas. So he came as the Prince of Peace to bring us peace with God. And what's amazing is that the more that we become confident in an understanding that we have peace with God, something amazing happens. We begin to experience the peace of God. 
So let's look at that, the peace of God. You know, usually when you and I think of peace, I, we think of like peace of mind and like and peaceful circumstances. We think experiencing peace is about, it's about, and it's contingent upon life out here. As long as all of this is going well, okay, I can experience peace. As long as the relationships are going well, I'll feel I'm at peace. As long as the kids are behaving, I'm at peace. As long as things at work are going well, I'll experience that peace. I, we, so much of our peace, our feelings of peace, we've, we've kind of hitched our, our peace wagon to circumstances. But this kind of thinking, we thinking that peace is contingent upon our circumstances, boy, that, that leads us just to feel more restless, does it not? It leaves us in fear of what is happening currently or what might happen. And we need to be clear that when we are talking about experiencing the peace of God, that it's, it isn't about every circumstance in our life going well. Again, that belief will, it will just lead, lead you to what, what is called an expectation hangover. Thinking that everything out here is, is supposed to go well and go right and go perfect in order for me to experience peace, that just sets you up to fail, to, to, to feel completely let down. You see, God's promise isn't to save us from hardship, pain, and suffering. His promise is to be with us in the midst of our hardship, our pain, and suffering. You see, true peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of God in the midst of my problems. It's not the absence of pain and problems. It's the promise of God in, to, to be present in the midst of my problems. And I don't, I don't know about you, but that's, I mean, that's the kind of peace that I want. A peace that is not tethered to my circumstances. And until, until Jesus returns, again, Advent, looking ahead, until he returns to finally and fully make all things right, all things new. You and I are going to experience brokenness. We're going to experience pain. We're going we're to experience the unraveling of things. There's going to be the vandalism of shalom that we experience in our lives. And so I don't know about you, but the kind of peace that I want in the midst of that is one that is not tethered to my circumstances, a peace that transcends all of that, a peace that transcends my understanding. So how do we experience the peace of God? Well, again, there's, there's, a, there's a lot that we could talk about here. But I want to just talk about a, one thing that we can do and that we see throughout Scripture God calling us to do. Is that we can't change the circumstances, but we, what we can do is change the playlist. Change the playlist. Well, let me explain. You see, all of us at all times, I mean, we have a playlist going on in our heads. There's songs that you and I have heard in our heads that have been on repeat for years. These songs, these lyrics have been looping over and over in our heads, in our hearts, repeating back our fears, our failures, and they have in many ways become the soundtrack of our insecurities. So David was talking about earlier when he was talking about what men's skills helped him work through. We all have this, this playlist playing. I mean, have you heard some of these tunes? How about this one, Failure? 
with the hit single, You Suck. <laughs> it's catchy. It's catchy. I mean, it says, what's wrong with me? I, you know, there's a song, I should be way further along by now. I'm, I'm way behind. My life is a train wreck. That's a good one. Or that one that says, I, yeah, I'm such a loser. We've, we've heard that one before, right? How about this, other, this song, this playlist? Unloved. That's a popular one too. Check out some of these songs. I don't matter. No one cares about me. I'm unwanted. That's a catchy one. And if, if people really knew me, they would run for the hills. They, would, they, would, they wouldn't stick around very long. I've heard that one. That's a good one. Ooh, here's this. Not enough. I hear this one. This has just been on repeat in my own life for so long. And the, the, some of the lyrics here is that, Matt, you need to prove your worth. You are fundamentally lacking. You need to prove your worth to God, to others, to yourself. And don't let people see that you're needy because if you're needy, that exposes the fact that you're not enough because if you were enough, you wouldn't need you could just be the, the strong one, the capable one that people will go to and you could just help fix them. But you yourself, you don't, don't, don't expose that. You know, not enough. It's catchy. And there's, how about this one? God is mad at me. I've gone too far. I'm tired of, I'm tired of trying. He's tired of waiting for me to get my act together. You know, like, come on, Matt, get your act together. God, he's rolling his eyes at me. All these songs we sing about, about God's love and oh, his kindness and all that, yeah, that's, it's in one ear and out the other because this is, our, this is what's on. He's mad at me. Nothing, no other message can get through because this is playing so loud in our heads. You, so, you see, we might be new creations. We, we might be made new or whole or complete, but that doesn't mean that we don't have lies in our heads. That doesn't mean that, that we can't be deceived by lies. Well, we just heard all of those things. I'm sure that all of us have experienced those songs, that playlist in our heads. They probably sound familiar of us. And these lies, they have a way of robbing us of the peace that, that we are, are called to experience. The Apostle Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now we are, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so really the, the battle that we fight in order to experience the peace of God, really it's a battle for the mind. And I'm so thankful that, that God, he doesn't leave us there. He, he, he gives us the truth playlist. You see, in, in Scripture, the, the Apostle Paul says that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So that means we don't just, when thoughts enter into our minds, when these, these playlists are going on and on, we don't let just allow them to run rampant. No, we take them captive. We say, hold on a second. We hit stop on the player. We hit stop and we say, is that true? I'm feeling, I'm hearing right now that, Matt, you're not enough. Is that true? Well, we need to put 
the truth playlist on. Let me tell you what the truth, some of these songs. We're experiencing thoughts of, I'm a failure. Here's what the truth says. It says, I'm not, I'm not defined by what I do or what I fail to do. What defines me is what Jesus Christ did for me and who he is in me. How about this one? Unloved. Well, Scripture, this is a lie. Scripture tells me that I am holy. I am dearly loved. That Jesus, he was, he faced ultimate rejection on the cross so that I would receive ultimate acceptance by my Father. I'm not unloved. He died for me. He gave his life for me. How about this one? Not enough. No, well, in Christ, I've been made righteous. I have the perfection of Jesus. I've no longer, because I'm fully righteous, fully loved, fully accepted, I no longer have anything that I need to prove. I don't have to live my life bluffing. I don't have to live my life pretending that I have it all together. I'm fully righteous in him. And God is, is God really mad at me? Well, the truth says that condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That nothing that I do or fail to do will ever cause God to let me go. That nothing can separate me from his love. I can't wiggle free. Change the playlist. Guess the, the playlist really is, it's about us going back to that unchangeable truth of peace with God. Peace with God. It's not trying to change the circumstances out here. It's about going back to and rehearsing the truth of the gospel. The playlist of God's grace is what we're called to listen to. I'm going to invite the band back up. You see, Christmas is the good news that God is with us and that the Prince of Peace is not, is not only with us, that the Prince of Peace is in us. God with us. You see, Jesus brings peace with God, and he brings us the peace of God. He came down because we could never go up. Into our darkness, into our despair, into the fears that we experience, all of that, peace has arrived. This is what we celebrate when we, when we celebrate Christmas. But more specifically, it's what we celebrate when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. You see, the Lord's Supper is a physical reminder that he came, that God came down to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And it's a reminder that there's nothing that you and I will ever be able to do that will be able to fix our problem to fix ourselves. And so the simple meal that we're going to partake in right now this really simple, simple meal is a constant reminder that Jesus has done everything that is needed in order to bring us peace. So he not only gave for us to bring us peace with God, but he gave himself to us so that we would experience the peace of God. He gave himself for us, which is peace with God, and gave himself to us so that we experience the peace of God of God. You see, peace isn't just a thing. Peace is a person. And his name is Jesus. He's God with us. And so that's what we're going to, right now, we're going to spend some time as the band plays.
make, um, there's tables that are spread out around the room with a little cracker and a little juice. And that little cracker represents the body of Christ that he gave. The blood represents his, his or the blood, the, the cup represents bl- his blood, which was shed for us so that we would, exp- we would have forgiveness of sins. And so when we go to these tables, we're not here rehearsing um, what we have done or failed to do and all that stuff. We're going to these tables to go be in remembrance of him. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus says. So we're just going to spend some time as the band plays a couple songs and just make your way over to the table where you, know, you want to go as a, as a family, as an individual, as a life group, like, and just spend some time there and take of those, those elements. And let's just celebrate thanking God for Christmas, for coming down and being with us and being in us. Let's do that now.